Welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. I'm Ron. And this is our review of Cobra, starring Sylvester Stallone, Brigitte Nielsen, Rennie Santori, Art LaFleur, Andrew Robinson, Lee Garrington, Marco Rodriguez, and Brian Thompson. Directed by George P. Cosmatos, allegedly. Uh, the This Golden Globus venture was released in May of 1986 on a $25 million budget, grossed over $160 million worldwide. And I say it allegedly because Cosmatos has been the director in name on, you know, Things like Rambo 2 and Tombstone, and anybody will tell you that the actors in those movies directed those, but specifically Stallone did it twice, that uh, the word on him was he was a good producer and a good organizer of things, and you could just hand him a shot list, and he would just go and shoot what you wanted. So, um, And uh, apparently Stallone told Kurt Russell, use him for Tombstone. And then, and then Kurt Russell directed Tombstone. Exactly, exactly. So... So anyway, we're doing this as part of a three-part series here called Summer of Stallone, you know, and uh, I dreamed this up because I thought it would be fun to look at some of Sly's one-offs from the 80s and 90s, and we're going to start with one that is loosely adapted from a novel by Paula Gosling that eventually got made into a movie with Cindy Crawford and one of the Baldwins um, sometime later, and I've sad to say I've seen that movie. Um I don't know how much is from the original book. I didn't bother to read it or anything, but I do find it hilarious that when Stallone had rewritten the script so many times that he wanted to re-release the novel with him as the co-author as a tie-in to this movie. Cause, you know, if you ever wondered, like, you know, you talk about Hollywood, ma- you know, egomaniacs, he doesn't get brought up much cause he's generally considered to be fun and nice, but he is a huge egomaniac, especially in the 1980s. And Stallone ruled his sets with an iron fist. Yeah, especially this set, because I heard that um, he actually got into uh, a lot of issues. The The film was late, uh, was running over its production time, and was over budget, because he was busy hanging out with his bodyguards and showing off for Brigitte Nielsen. Exactly, right. Who, at this point, I mean, she had come into the scene with Red Sonja, um, and then he had cast her in Rocky Four as Drago's wife, and they I think they were an item at this point in 1986, right? They were married. Yeah, okay. So this is very much, you know, Tom Cruise and Nicole Gibman on Days of Thunder style, though I don't think they were married at that time, but that's, you know, the where they hooked up. So yeah, um, I do remember that, but I think one of his co-stars called him out on it and it, it ended up like straightening him out and they ended up finishing the movie relatively on time. But either way, man, I've seen this one. I, I'll tell you my whole backstory with it in a bit, but I want to know, like, what's your story with the Cobra? I don't really have a, a backstory of Cobra. Like, I know I've seen it several times. I remember the poster being awesome. I think I tried to buy it one time from a local video store. I, everyone knows the cutting a piece of pizza with scissors scene. And I remember the supermarket shootout and uh, not much else. So I think I must have like watched the supermarket shootout several times and then just stopped the rest of the movie. I'm pretty sure my brother rented this for me. 
Um, with, I would have been 10 when this movie came out. So 11 when it was on video. I know I didn't see it in theaters, but I, I think he, you know, he's five years older than me. So he would have seen it. And this is back when theaters didn't card anybody for anything. And so he would have seen it with his buddies and he, knowing that I liked, you know, good shoot 'em up action films. He rented it. We watched it. And I think I ended up like taping it off of like HBO or Showtime free weekend or something. And I literally remember wearing out the VHS tape on this. Like I watched this movie constantly when I was younger, mostly because I was a big GI Joe nut. So just the idea of Cobra, I didn't, I didn't know the difference at that point. And then when I watched <laughs> it, I was like, this is the most awesome thing ever because it tied into like, at that point I had already been introduced to slasher movies and all that stuff. So like Brian Thompson was like ultimate slasher guy, you know? And of course, years later seeing him play two different villains on Buffy was a real treat for <laughs> me, but I have, I've watched this movie for decades now. It's just a part of my lexicon. And I think I joked with you that we were putting together the notes page. I wrote 80% of it and hadn't rewatched the movie yet. It's been a few years since I've seen it too, but I just know it. I just know this as well as I know anything. And part of that's because it's 85 minutes long and there's not a whole lot to remember. The other parts though are, it's just something that is burned into my mind. And I mean, people call this a cult classic or whatever. I, this thing made Bonko money when it came out and it became fashionable to bang on these kind of movies at the end of the eighties when we, you know, and when Tarantino came about and we got into this real indie revolution in the nineties. So we looked back at this the same way the like grunge music made hair metal, not cool anymore, but I never stopped not liking this. Like I never stopped not liking Motley Crue or poison, you know, like this is in that same sort of young boy, um, preteen through teenage years. Just it's a rock and roll cop movie. I mean, that's really the best way I know how to describe this. And that really is probably the best possible description for it. Uh, it it's not, it doesn't exactly have much of a plot. Uh, it's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward, but yeah, it, it made Golan and Globus like enough money for an extra third mountain of cocaine. So <laughs> yeah. And probably allegedly. several, probably several American Ninja movies we've already reviewed got made off the back of this thing because I mean, and look, Sly was friends with them. Like he did some big money with them through, through the eighties. So, you know, when he wanted to get something produced, this is how he got it done. I find it funny that a lot of the outline of this, of course, it's taken from the novel, which is more like suggest. It's kind of like Jaws three is suggested by the novel Jaws by Peter Benchley. It's sort of the same idea here. And this won't be the last time we have this in the Summer of Stallone retrospective where that's the case. But it, a lot of this comes from the notes he had for what he wanted Beverly Hills Cop to be before they took it away from him and said, no, we're, we don't have the money for all of that. We're going to have to go something a little, little lighter. And they ended up going with Eddie Murphy, but it was a much darker, you know, cop drama. And he took a lot of what he wanted to do with Beverly Hills cop and then put it into this movie along with fair game and all of that. So, cause the, the point of fair game is there's this beautiful woman who's kind of on the run from these killers and for reasons. And that's sort of the, the best thing I can explain to you. And I think there's probably more to it, but I've never bothered to read it, but that's what I understand it to be about. And that's what the Crawford movie is about. But this one, I, I'd always find the funny note about it is that it was supposed to be what his version of Beverly Hills Cop would be, which try to imagine a world where that happened. And the fact that like the original version was so violent and gory and over two and a half hours long that they just cut it to ribbons before it, you know, it finally released. Yeah, it's it would have ended up being the uh, like the Heaven's Gate of action movies if it had been <laughs> two and a half hours long. Oh, now I really want to see it. <laughs> well, there is a bootleg cut out there where people have put the 30 to 40 minutes back in. You just have to 
uh, you know, you might have to sail the seven seas to find it. Uh, if you can even find it anymore, but I know it was going around for a while. I did a little Googling before we, we recorded today and I found like a, a video that had some of the deleted scenes and like descriptions of what was going on, but I hadn't found the, the work print as it were. Um, maybe someday I'll get industrious and, you know, find it or I'll just, you know, finally go to like a con and somebody will have it or something. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it does exist out there, but, um, it's not, it's not as easy to find. And again, I think this one, one, this movie is now 33 years old at this point. So people that remember it are people our age. I don't know. Like, I can't imagine, you know, like the younger audience watching this and getting any idea what is about to happen. This one's a ride. That's for sure. I mean, if, if, if vinegar syndrome can make a living putting out obscure eighties horror movies, then surely somebody the Criterion Murder Collection or something to put out the uncut Cobra. I so wish there was a Criterion Murder Collection. Why can't Joe Bob do this on the last drive-in? I mean, he's getting a second season, so, so uh, it, I, it may be it, it may be looking it may be a possibility. Hold on, hold, hold on. change dot org petition. I'm going to set that up. So before, before this is over, let's see if I can get enough. Uh, maybe if I get half of the people that want Game of Thrones rewritten to get on board with this, we'll get it. I don't know. Maybe a third, you know, it's just, uh, let's just start <laughs> tweeting at Craig Engler and, and we'll get this on the road. That, that would be great. If anchor Bay was still a thing, maybe we could get this, but anyway, you know, so, well, Rod, I, let's walk through the plot here and give people a little description of the Cobra before we, we talk about it. L.A. detective Marion Cobretti, played by Stallone, runs the Zombie Squad, a group of cops who work at the late nights and on the streets and do the jobs too dirty for the regular cop force. Often at odds with department leader Detective Monty, Cobretti still holds favor with Captain Sears, who sees value in what the Zombie Squad does and what the Cobra can do. And when a secret society calling itself the New World, led by a maniac who goes by the Night Slasher, commits a spree of brutal murders across the city, Cobretti is called in along with his partner, Sergeant Gonzalez, to interview the one living witness to the Night Slasher and the New World, a beautiful model named Ingrid, played by Brigitte Nielsen. After a failed attempt by the Night Slasher to kill Ingrid and a hospital is thwarted, the cops decide to move her to a safe house. However, one of the New World leaders is also a policewoman that allows the New World to track Cobretti, Ingrid, and Gonzalez to the safe house. And an all-out battle ensues in the little foundry town with Cobra and his partner and the cops shooting it out with the gang. And finally, in a one-on-one with the Night Slasher, Cobretti gets the upper hand and hangs the hulking man on a hook, which carries him into a blast furnace, ending the terror once and for all. Cobretti and Ingrid ride off into the sunset on a motorcycle, and John Cafferty and the Beaver Round brand sing the anthem Voice of America Sons while credits roll and that's what plays out over the 86 minutes that is the cobra it is 86 minutes of nothing but squibs exploding and it, it, it and it was a great <laughs> you know i i thought about a lot about the golden globus stuff you and i have reviewed on film strip here and i had never put together how much of like invasion usa and at least the first two american ninja movies this feels like and and a little bit like Revenge of the Ninja too, which I know isn't necessarily in the same category, but I mean they waste no time, they drop us right in, and it's it's you know ninety to nothing from the very opening scene. Yeah, this movie accelerates as fast as uh, Cobra's Mer- Mercury does. <laughs> yeah, the, the, uh, the apparently one of Stallone's actual cars. He insisted be in the film because why would this guy not drive a car like that? Sure. I mean, so. zero to sixty in four seconds, a blown out Hemi engine. 
Yeah. Uh, he's actual, even got like, like early, like nitrous oxide, like his little fast and furious action going on there. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Sylvester Stallone can take credit for fast and furious too. <laughs> At least like from part four on when it became an action series and not a race car series. But yeah. Uh, I, I love the opening here though. And you described it as you remembered the grocery store mayhem, right? And we were talking offline ahead of time. Like there's a bunch of movies from this era where like grocery store murder was sort of the inciting incident of whatever. I thought of blue steel from Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, and I thought of another classic movie that I believe we've covered on the film strip, Stone Cold with yes. Brian Bosworth. And also it's the debut of uh, with the first time you see RoboCop on screen. That is true. I we, and we haven't covered RoboCop, but yeah, that's certainly a big one. I you know, originally I think this was supposed to be like in a movie theater, but I like this scene if for nothing more than and we we've got I called him out in the in the opening credits because we just reviewed him. Marco Rodriguez is the thug here and he was one of the detectives in the 1989 Punisher we just reviewed. I don't know if you recognized <laughs> him or not, but I was like, "Oh wow, I guess like on off days, like this is what he he played thugs or cops." Like I don't think I've ever seen the guy play anything but like i'm sure he has like this huge broadway career where he plays like priests or something but all i've ever seen him in movies is playing the bad guy or the angry lieutenant you know and and that's just sort of his deal but i you know he he walks into the store here and there's a lot of gun porn in this era of movie and there are so many close-ups of this shotgun like cocking and ejecting shells and the foley work of him shooting up cantaloupe and all this other stuff and just terrorizing people and blowing away you know Coors signs and pepsi and all this other stuff it is terrifying to think about last year or two years ago we had a shooting at a grocery store here oh and during the escape the police finally bring him down and arrest him yeah wow yeah, look, I, it's it's crazy to think that that world is more commonplace now than it, it may have been. But in 1986, that was not the kind of thing you expected to see or hear. And it's a jarring way to start this movie uh, because it, it automatically pits up something for us, though. And I love the way that they introduce Cabretti here because the regular cops are there. They've got the whole place surrounded. The helicopters are overhead like almost immediately. So there's this huge time jump. <laughs> You know, right? Where he's holding hostages. He's got this, what looks like a pipe bomb, but I don't know if it works. Who knows? And he's, he's wanting television cameras so he can like preach the new world gospel or whatever he's got going on. And I love how the captain and detective Monty are arguing about what to do next. And Monty is like talking to him through a megaphone. Like, it is the worst advice ever. Like, there's no, there's nothing that you're not going to get out of here without talking. And I'm like, you don't tell the guy holding people hostage that you're not going to get out of here. Like, bad negotiating, Monty. <laughs> so, like, terrible. Um, that, and, and, and he is totally, like, against bringing in Cabretti because he knows what that means. And I love how Stallone like has to drive up, of course, in the 1950 Mercury. He's got on the black biker boots. He's head to toe in black, chewing on a match, wearing sunglasses. Like he's, like he's the Punisher. He even kind of looks like the Punisher. No, I, and I would have never put that together, man. Have we not just reviewed that Dolph Lundgren thing? But he really does. Like it's, I, I, he won't cop to it, but I wonder sometimes if he didn't, you know, borrow from that. Or was it uh, Vice? Did the Punisher come out after this? Well, yeah, the movie did, but the comic had oh, been comic around. Book. Yeah, yeah. That's, so that's I'm thinking. Yeah, so I, I wonder if if little bit of this wasn't Punisher esque. Also, there's a uh, there's a little bit of uh, Mad Max in there too. 
Oh, you know, I hadn't thought about that, but that's an excellent pull. Yeah, it's very it's got a lot of leather and a lot of people riding bikes and a lot of shotguns. Yeah, that especially when it comes to the showdown with the the new world uh, people, because it, and the one guy who I don't he uh, it's a. Uh, I forget what his, his name, his character's name, but he's always the one with the sniper rifle and driving people around and stuff like that. And, uh, I don't know. It, it, anyway, so we call in Cobra and I, I will never forget. Like, I think I could quote the whole scene with him in the grocery store with the guy where he, one, he opens up a can of just like beer that's just sitting out in the like, you know, floor. <laughs> yeah. He, gra- he grabs a warm can of Coors banquet beer and yeah. pops it open. Not, uh, so, so it's just to establish the badness of this guy. I think more like there's so many scenes that it just, they are there to show like, I'm the baddest guy on the planet. I need to do, do this. And, so, and that's how he talks. And he gets, uh, he gets on the, the microphone of the uh, whole, uh, store and he's like, Hey, you wasted somebody for nothing. You know, I'm going to waste you. And I'm like, what cop would ever even be allowed to exist? that could say things like this, right? Like it is, it is amazing what that to think about that there could even be a plausibility that the police department would just basically have a hitman on squad. You know, like when we can't handle it, you just come in and kill everybody. Right. Which is, that's what dirty Harry kind of did, but he, he also like used actual police work. We talked about that when we reviewed the dirty Harry movies and Cobra, I, he does some police work, but he's usually his first thing is like shoot everything and then figure out what happened to it. Yeah. Um, at least we're dealing with dirty Harry. Dirty Harry looks like he can read. <laughs> this is true. I don't, there's a lot of looking at pictures, but still at least until, at least until we see Cobra's little, little crime lab. Yeah. It seems like he gets most of his news from the television yes. because we see him pick up that newspaper, uh, after the grocery store mayhem incident and just throw it right onto the grill. Well, it was it was old news at that point, right? It was the end of the day, so unless the unless the L.A. Times had an evening edition back then, I don't know. Uh, so but, my my question is, was it his newspaper, or did you just grab one of the newspapers from one of the other apartments and throw it away? It could have, I, yeah. Who knows? That's a good that's a good question. Maybe it was laying on the seat from the day before from the stakeout. Who knows? But before we get to that, though, we got to talk about how he takes down this guy because it's it's a little bit of cat and mouse, and he finally catches him in the freezer section. And he's got, you know, his gun pointing at him and he sticks it back in his, his front holster, like crotch holster, which anyone will tell you is a very bad way to carry your weapon. <laughs> it's just, it's a poor idea. Okay. It, it, it looks cool. It's a bad idea. Right. Just no. So he's got that there and he, He's talking to the guy and the guy is, of course, you know, proselytizing to him about it. He's a hero of the new world, whatever. And I love how he pulls out just like a pocket knife and slings it so like at least 30 feet across the room, buries it in the dude's chest and, and then pulls the gun and in t- one second says drop it and puts five rounds in it. <laughs> you know, like yeah, I'm not. I was just gonna say, I'm not sure why he told him to drop his weapon after he stabbed him in the chest. Yeah, at that point, it's over. I mean, like that. There's this guy can't do anything else because of course he wheels the gun around on him and he shoots him. And as, as his, you know, the anti-hero cop of the day comes out, and when the uh, reporters are accosting him for you know what he did, I used everything I had, and he did. 
So I mean, he unloaded the gun on him. And these poor people that are held hostage, they're already traumatized. And then they saw the cops come in and just brutally destroy the guy in front of them. But it's all to set up again that this guy is part Terminator, Punisher, Mad Max, all of that rolled into one. I think you, you hit it with with those comparisons. Yeah, and it's he didn't he of course he probably needed to continue shooting the guy. That's that's fine. He's a cop. They do that. But you had just stabbed him in the heart with a knife from thirty feet away. I don't yeah. know how much longer he was supposed to have lived, even if you hadn't ended up shooting him five more times. And by the look of it, the bomb was just some pipes with like a alarm clock tied to them. It was just a scare. Like Yeah, the bomb a, looked completely fake. Yeah, exactly. He didn't have a chance to set it, trigger it. Maybe he could have got the shotgun off. I don't know. He he railed off so many shots out of that gun. I'm like, that shotgun probably holds six rounds, maybe in that condition. So he's reloaded that thing a hundred times at this point. Uh but you know, whatever. Yeah, he 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 literally spends fifty rounds just shooting at random stuff in the grocery store. Right. The brutal part of it, though, is when he does tell the one guy in the Raiders jacket, you can leave and then guns him down from you know, as he's running down the hall. That's when you, you realize like, oh, these these people need to be because the, the whole point of this scene is that, again, in reality, we would never accept a cop doing something like this, even in 1986. Like, no, 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 no. But these guys are so bad that this is the only answer. Right. Like that's the whole you're the disease. I'm the cure line is what Stallone drops on him. And of course, that's you have the, to you yeah. have to say it in your Stallone impression. <laughs> yeah, you're the disease. and I'm the cure. <laughs> Drop it. You know, I, could, I just cut in the lines. But I mean, really, that's what happens in the whole scene. And then when Cobretti gets to go home, the that are waiting on him uh, that are in his parking spot or whatever are listening to Miami Sound Machine. <laughs> I just, I, you know, <laughs> I didn't think that would have been their their go to. But sure. I mean, it was a different world in, you know, 1986. I, don't, I suppose. I don't know if, if rap had gotten to the West Coast at that point. I, 1986? I guess not. I, I, yeah, it would have been a few years before. I mean, there were a or few, it but... It took a while to, to cross over into the uh, Latino gangbanger community. Yeah. Uh, the, of course, the great, great continuity scene when he rips the guy's shirt off and his lavalier mic still taped to him. So uh, for years, I didn't know what that was in that dude's chest. And then I finally, <laughs> you know, years later, I was like, oh, that's his lav mic. Oh, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I rented that in HD today and I saw that lav mic for the first time. It's the first time I wasn't watching it on like standard deaf television. Yeah, I mean, it just, it just looks like like he like, missed the spot shaving or like part of the shirt hung there is what I always thought. And I was like, oh, well, okay. And uh, according to the stuff behind the scenes, who you ask, Stallone was just supposed to push him. He wasn't supposed to do that. And when he did, of course, he revealed it and the guy was so ticked off he wouldn't do the scene again. So, one shot. So, there we yeah, go. That just, that just plays into the whole uh, Sylvester Stallone egomaniac thing yeah totally so um but we go to his apartment here and man this is also some memorable stuff here where he is it a frozen pizza or is the freezer on the bottom in this fridge and he just scissor cuts off half of it and then goes to clean his uh cult 1911 nine millimeter he pulls that out of the freezer that was the freezer part of the fridge he pulls out he pulls out his his gun cleaning kit Yes. So that oil is going to be all frozen up. <laughs> I was going to say, Ron, you own handguns. You, you don't do. keep your oil refrigerated. <laughs> so, you know, you just keep it in the closet. Like, yeah, not and especially not in the freezer. <laughs> I know it's one of the 
dumbest ideas. And here's the thing, like, too, I'm picking on that because this movie is supposed to be, you know, hyper realistic. Stallone is, is himself, you know, he, he is all about the accuracy of all these weapons and all this stuff. He's, you know, and this whole movie again is gun porn and to have something just that stupid in it. And there's no deleted scene to explain it. Nope. That's how it was written. He can eat frozen pizza and he can melt gun oil, um, while watching Toys R Us commercials on the evening news. And he puts the, the same little triangle of pizza in his mouth twice. Don't know yes. if you noticed that. Yes, yes. So that's I, another Stallone continuity error. Either maybe that or they didn't show a scissoring off a second. Maybe he had to warm it up the first time and spit it back out and then go back in with it. Like, you know, anacondas <laughs> will eat stuff and spit it back up. I've been told that in the movies. I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, but uh, we'll see. So, uh, yeah. I, but all this is going on so we can get the news exposition about the Night Slasher, right? And I do think this is a smart thing, especially if you're going to cut the movie down and they cut out everything that wasn't Stallone related, pretty much, or Stallone cut that out. And a lot of it had to do with the new world and the Night Slasher and all this stuff. So we get very little of their motivation or any of this stuff. And we've learned that he's, they've killed 16 people at this point and basically they, they hack them up. And I'm like, this is like, you know, you brought Leatherface into LA and, set him loose yeah it's uh terminator v leatherface yeah and brian thompson is do we just talk about how big this dude is like even by hollywood standards this is a large man like, he could have been a wrestler you know i mean he was he's a big hulking dude and he, he he played those characters on buffy too these big large people and he's got this face that you talk about something that looks like the Punisher skeleton. He could have been a Punisher if they'd, you know, if he'd ever gotten up that far in the acting world. Yeah, that's true. He is really like a big, terrifying guy. And it's funny, he was actually in uh, the Terminator, speaking of the Terminator. Oh, that's right. He's one of the thugs that give me your him clothes. And, him and Bill Paxson, yeah. Yeah. Because he's, he's Arnold Schwarzenegger's son, so they that's... gave Arnold Schwarzenegger clothes to steal. You know what? It makes total sense that, that that's who he would have ripped off uh, was Brian Thompson. But yeah, I, he's a, he is a huge dude. Yeah, like, very, I don't, very big. I, I can't find his height, at least in an initial mm-hmm. uh, surge on IMDb, but he is like side of beef shaped man. Like he is yeah. he's like Clancy Brown big. He's, he's like Clancy Brown tall, but Kane hotter wide. That's <laughs> what he looks like. Yeah, that's a good. Uh, that's a that's a good compare. That's a good description. Yeah, I mean he is a he's a hulk of a dude, and he's got. I, and Stallone is credited for this. He told the weapons designer, "Design a knife that no one will ever forget." And so it's got like brass knuckles, but there's spikes on it, and then this huge recurve blade. And I remember seeing like you know replicas of this knife through the knife stores in the mall for years and stuff. And I just remember thinking like what it would take to wield one of those, and I actually pick one up and I'm a pretty big guy, but I don't have huge hands. I mean, it felt like a, a machete in my hand, you know? And I was like, Holy cow. I mean, it is, I mean, it is a, an intimidating weapon. And part of the stuff that, that is cut out that I really wish they had left in was they showed these new world order people like during their day jobs, they're like welders and mechanics and they work at the fish market. And this guy, night slasher works at like a meat market or a fish market. And he's cutting stuff up all day. So you get the sense of like, oh, that's why he's so good with a knife is because that he works yeah, that at it That would have been a really good addition, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, again, you can see the deleted scene on YouTube if you're going to look at it, but it would have made so much more sense if you knew that about this guy. Um, but 
you know, we, we don't know. So we do get to see the gang do a couple of attacks here, though, right? Like, we get the waitress, um, and this is straight out of a horror movie, man. Like, there's half of this movie that I feel like Stallone felt like, I need to write a Friday the 13th Halloween sequel, but it's not going to be one of those. Because there's people, they really... People, they, people really like the slasher movie, so I figured <laughs> I would just go and write a slasher movie. And you've got to do the Stallones from now on. It's so much better than mine. But exactly, yeah. I mean, and he won't cop to that. But I, you, again, being a fan of that genre, particularly during this time, and gosh, Ron, how many of those have we reviewed from that time period? Tell me, like, the Jason movies were not a direct influence on some of what this was doing. Oh, definitely, yeah. And if you would like, I can read you some of the stuff that was cut out of this movie that the MPAA said was too intense. Oh, please do. The first, that waitress, the first murder victim, uh, they just see her kind of get stabbed and then they kind of cut away. But the first, uh, uh, but in that first scene, she actually ends up getting her throat cut and her hand severed. Yikes. When they, yeah, there's uh, an autopsy. The, in the autopsy scene, there's a lot more dead bodies, including lingering shots of naked and mutilated uh, murdered women. So it's a Saw movie. That's what you're saying. Yes. They yeah. cut out those scenes of the Order doing their day jobs, like Project Mayhem style, uh, and they replaced it with the scenes of the uh, Order doing that weird workout ritual like we see in the film's opening with the axes. <laughs> yeah, they're banging the axes together and like chanting or something. It's very strange what's going on there. The uh, And some other stuff that comes later in the movie was also cut out, and I can talk about that when we get to that point. I don't want to yeah, jump ahead. I do think it's, it's good to talk about like the gore that got cut out of this thing. Cause I think those, like those hands are supposed to be delivered to the cops in like a Christmas present or something. Cause this is also supposed to be around Christmas time, by the way. Cause yeah, that, yeah, so, it's Christmas movie. So, so that begs the question is Cobra a Christmas movie? I, you know, in the same vein that Lethal Weapon and Die Hard are Christmas movies, I guess so. <laughs> I mean, it's supposed it to be around the like, same time of year. Cause that Toys R Us commercial is straight up a Christmas commercial. So, uh, they, the neighbors put a, a Christmas wreath out on on the door, uh, so that's how you know it's Christmas. <laughs> yeah. And uh, at, at the end, Cobra uh, he buys his friend some uh, some gummy bears. <laughs> right, or he promises to, and he he is shopping the bobblehead lady later on too. So you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe who knows that maybe was for Monty. You know, I mean, who knows? So I'm gonna make good for Monty at Christmas. You know, but well, uh, anyway, like this dancing hula girl, <laughs> she'll go on his patrol car. Exactly. It'd be just like that time he was in San Francisco and his brother was there. Well, we don't talk about that, but you know. So anyway, um, can, can we talk about your theory? Um, yeah. That Andrew Robinson, who plays Detective Monty, was originally cast uh, was supposed to be like the mastermind, the guy on the inside of the cult. Oh, that's not a theory. That's confirmed. Like that was in the original script that they just cut it out and just made him like the jerk anti Cobra cop, but. Yeah, and he signed on. He thought he was the leader of the New World Order. That was going to be revealed in the final act um, after uh, Night Slasher got killed. And then um, instead of punching him in the face, Cobra was going to you know, have to take him down. But, I mean, that would have been a pretty good ending. I would have totally worked. We've already got crooked cops in this movie anyway. Like That would have yeah, totally made it, sense. It, it would make more sense that somebody on the inside of Zombie Squad would have access to the Zombie Squad information. Right. Uh, well, see, that's the thing, though. He's not on the zombie squad, but because he's in command, like I took him as like detective lieutenants or, or something like that. Like he was the, the or the chief of D's or whatever you want to call it in L.A. Like he would have known 
where all these are, because Cabretti's a lieutenant, so he's actually got the same rank as Monty. He's just on the squad nobody wants to work with, you know, ah. um, which is, um, which I mean, like, the zombie squad could also be like the squad Riggs commanded in the LAPD from Lethal Weapon. Like, it's the same thing, because nobody wanted to work with that crazy dude either. So that makes sense. Right. So, and, and the fact that Gonzalez works with him, we'll talk about him in a minute. I, I think it's just because he feels like he can score free candy all day. He doesn't really do anything. So, so. It's weird that the, the whole Cobra is a health nut thing comes in at the middle of the movie. Yeah. Cause as we see in the beginning, he drinks a warm beer and he eats at least a little slice of pizza. It's not the whole slice, but you know, pizza is not exactly a health food. Especially that, that looked like some cheap low rent, like, you know, below, no offense, below like Little Caesars style, you know, that was left over for a couple of days. So look, I was in college. I, I still enjoy a Totino's every now and then too, but it's not healthy. So, um, yeah, it, well, it came out of the freezer, so it might have been months old. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, what would have been cooler is if you just grabbed a pack of ramen and just bit into it, you know, <laughs> and that, I mean, that would have been just along the same lines. That's funny. Cause in college I used to eat uncooked ramen. See, I didn't know this about you. So what you would do new. is you would take the brick and you would uh, the brick of ramen. You would crush it up in the package. Then you would sprinkle the uh, uh, chicken flavor on top of it. It was it was best with chicken, and you eat it like popcorn. Well, I've never thought about it like that, but um, I don't want to try it. But I'm sure someone in the audience now will, which we take no responsibility for. So let's. <laughs> well, I li- I lived through it. And I kept most of my teeth. I'm going to say, see, it usually works. But anyway, we, we're back here and we see these night slasher attacks, right? So it's only getting worse, right? And in one of them, they're like, they, they bump into the woman from behind who's, she's driving like this old jalopy too. I'm like, what year is this? And they're driving like the, you know, standard abductor van and, I, I love how and we reveal her later to be Officer Stalk, but it's just this woman with some like bad Stockard Channing looking hair going on <laughs> uh, that Lee Garrington's got going here. I mean, really, I was like, wow, it's like Stockard Channing stunt double. Um, and she's had a pretty varied career, Garrington has it herself, but, but really, I thought she looked a lot like Stockard Channing. And, uh, cause I was a Grease fan as a kid too. And so I love how the woman's like, are you, have you been drinking or something? Of course, yes. And the way she says it is so over the top. Oh my gosh. And then they just, I'm going to show you my axe by putting it on the glass now, lady, you know, and so they, you know, she knows what's coming. They kill her in slow-mo. But as Brigitte Nielsen is driving to her late night photo shoot in her Jeep, she happens to go by the same underpass where they're like propping this woman up on the like bus bench so that she can be found. Right. And that, and, and her and Brian Thompson have a staring contest, which I, be honest, I'd drive away pretty fast too if I saw that dude, you know, cause he is an intense looking fella. And Virginia Nelson's tall. She's probably as tall as he is, but she's like, nope, don't want none of that. So that, that's when we, we start to realize that there's a cop of the inside. Cause the next flash is you see Stalk the next day in her police uniform and she's all buttoned down, her hair pulled back and she's doing that search. And I, it took me years to realize that this was the same person. You know, I, I didn't get that early on. And it's because they killed us. They deleted the scene where the, the night slashers or the, the new order are all at work. And you actually see her on the firing line, like practicing with her gun. And you see her wrist tattoo of the skull and crossbones. And that's supposed to reveal it to you earlier. Um, and I'm like, would that, they needed to like show us that wrist while she's typing up the license plate or something, because otherwise I didn't get that those were the same people. Yeah, I didn't get that either, actually. It took me until, like, closer to the end of the movie to figure that out. 
at first I thought when she like poked her head in the, the, the window and said that she'd been drinking or whatever, she looks so weirdly like made up and distorted that she does kind of look like transgender Gene Simmons. Now the you know the, the cops show up to the scene where the woman's been on the park bench, and we get a, just a short scene with the captain and Monty. And Monty's like, "Okay, we're just going to keep following the leads." And the captain's like, "Screw it, just call him. You know, just just go ahead and call him in because they've already done the whole autopsy thing." And Cobretti's like, "Well, I just want to get involved." And now they're you know they finally call him in, so they go and meet him and Gonzalez on like Miami Vice style on a rooftop. I've, I've felt very much like I was watching a Miami Vice episode at this point. Yeah, it, it's. It's definitely like it definitely feels like uh, Michael Michael Mann showed up and and gave him some notes or something, right? Yeah, or maybe they had talked ahead. I would be surprised, you know. So I'm surprised Mann and Sloan haven't done anything together, or maybe Mann has more taste. I don't know. But anyway, so they tell him to you know go shake down every sicko in the city and then do what you do best. And of course, Monty has to get in the the cheap shot. Like, well, what do you care, right? If he does, you know. And and again, I'm like, if they had just left that character as the leader of the New Order, all of this hostility makes sense. But at this point, even like any good administrator has to learn and realize. I was like, hey, what we're doing ain't working. Maybe we need this guy to pull this off. Also, he's the only one that's produced any kind of result at all so far. So, you know, the fact that he's still a jerk to him is just, it's cliche. And, it, and again, it doesn't ring true. But I give I give the movie the gimme knowing that a lot of that got cut and changed later. So even at that point when they're shooting that, he may have still thought I'm the I'm the ultimate, like, big bad. Knowing that, you, you read his performance that way. And it's weird because the movie seems to start shifting tone here because even in like the grocery store scene, Stallone is cracking lines and shooting one liners. And in his confrontation with uh, the chief and with Monty, he's still like stay saying lines that felt like they were in the first draft of uh, Beverly Hills cop. Right. He says like, you didn't say the magic word, please. When he's, you know, he's got the drawing later and all that stuff. Yeah. Like I could definitely see those lines coming out of Eddie Murphy's mouth if they were delivered like faster with more energy and with some inflection. Cause again, it's just this weird tonal shifts. This movie's full of these, but then we get maybe the weirdest tonal shift. Well, we also on the rooftop, we set up Stallone or Cobretti is this health nut. Cause he gets on uh Gonzalez for eating junk food all the time. And he tells him like, your problem is you're too violent. Cause you eat all that sugar, you know, and Gonzalez is looking at him like, man, you just like shot like 40 people yesterday. So like I haven't even pulled my gun out in this movie yet, and I won't. So um poor Randy Santori doing everything he can with this garbage roll uh, that he was handed. But then we get the biggest shift, man. The movie goes into a four and a half minute Robert Tepper music video, which Stallone had already done this in Rocky Four. After Creed dies, spoiler alert, in Rocky Four. He, he has an argument with, uh, Adrian about, I've got to go fight Drago, whatever. And he gets in his car and he drives off into one of the coolest Robert Tepper songs ever, No Way Out. I love the song. I have it on my, you know, my iPhone now. I listen to it all the time. It's a great tune. This is, you know, Stallone thought, well, that worked out really well. And that's like a music video in the middle of that movie. So let me just do that same montage here of us rolling around the city, you know, talking to people. And that's when they were also supposed to show more of like the, the new world people working during the day. And we get Angel of the City, which, I mean, it's basically a, a music video for Angel of the City while we're having three things go on. We get a couple of looks at the Night Slasher, like sharpening his knife, basically. 
And then we get a lot of Stallone and Satori rolling around and you know, looking at tattoo parlors and shaking down people in bars and you know, asking questions that have no, there's no audio to. And then we get a lot of Brigitte Nielsen with David Rash taking photos of her dancing like half naked around a bunch of robots. I don't know what's going on with that photo shoot. It was the 1980s. I'm just going to write it off as that. Yeah, that was. That was such, that was, uh. I'm like, what magazine is that appearing? There is no internet. So what magazine is that appearing in? Like, who is going to pick that up? Uh, astounding science fiction. I guess so. I don't know. It's still around. Yeah. I think it's still around now. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Well, I hadn't thought about that one. That's pretty good. I was like, is this a popular mechanic shoot? It's so weird, you know, but it's all set to that music video. And that's what. I realized, like, man, this is when they must have changed direction on the movie because the rest of this movie is a totally different feel than the first bit of it, uh, with the exception of one scene coming up. Yeah, it's this is really like it's a music video of Sylvester Stallone, like talking to scumbags. And the whole thing is they're like, hey, let's send Cobra out. He knows a lot of terrible people and lots of homeless and and garbage people. Let's send him out to the underbelly of Los Angeles and see what he can find out. Right. It's very, I mean, again, I guess it's supposed to explain to us what the zombie squad really is. You know, it's not they, just the, the hitman for the LAPD. It's that they are the vice squad basically. But if they had just left a few scenes of him, like around people from uh, the new world, then it would have had more of a point. It would have just been a music video for Angel in the City. Right. Like if, if it would have hit home more the point that they're hiding in plain sight, which is kind of the point, but it's sort of buried and all that, it would have been so much more effective. Or at least show, you know, show us some key extras. Like we see some of these goons faces. We see their distinctive goon outfits. Like there's some guy with a, like a trucker hat and like a satin jacket who's carrying a shotgun later on in the movie. Show that guy uh, hanging out somewhere at a bar. You know? Yeah, and like pulling his sleeve down to hide his tattoo, you know, or whatever, like, or, or, or sniper guy, you know, rolling around like in the background going like, mm, I'm getting out of this bar, you know, and figuring it out or getting tipped off by somebody through like a, you know, the, uh, return of the Jedi wink and a nod, you know, I mean, why couldn't we have had that? Uh, it, I mean, not that I don't like Angel in the City. It's a cool song. Um, and it's kind of a fun music video, but it would have been much better as like just sort of playing in the background while we have actual dialogue. Um, cause there's no, there's nothing driving the narrative here other than the visuals. And I'm going to be honest with you, the visuals aren't that great. Like this is kind of, I don't know. It's just cheesy. It's, it's just lots of, uh, dingy underlit backlit scenes. We do get a scene before though, where stalk goes to tell night slasher who we never get a real name for. And I'm kind of disappointed that he didn't have, like he needed the name like Joe Smith, you know, just something boring at least, but whatever. So his obviously Robert, his name is Robert Paulson. Is that it? Okay. So, so that it would have been great though, if, if they had more of that, but she's like, you know, so let me get her for you. But she's talking to him in this deep sort of husky voice or whatever. That's why I thought she was supposed to be transgender. You know, I could, I could get it. Like you could get that from this. Cause I, even as a kid, I was like, there's something not like normal about that. But I guess she's, it's just, she's just supposed to be trying to like appeal to him on a lower level. Cause when she talks later, she just talks like a normal person. So it, except for the times when she's, she's trying like, to match, yes. you know, she's trying to match like Brian Thompson's incre- extremely weird, extremely <laughs> low voice. He has at the end I, of the movie. He, he has the like lowest the voices. It's like, it's passing through like a warble and he still talks. It was just how the guy talks. He's just this 
interestingly deep voice, but he's sharpening that knife in like the most angry knife sharpening ever because he's flexing his muscles. So he's very Schwarzenegger in this. And the apartment does look like where the Terminator is hanging out in the first Terminator. So it could have been the same place for all we know. He's, he's hanging out. And she's like, let me, let me kill her for you because I, you know, I'm on the inside. And I'm like, this is smart. This woman actually should be running the gang because she's got the best idea. And they still don't know who she is. They know there's a leak. They don't know where it's coming from. And they've played off the cops to be so inept and at each other's throats that they're not going to figure that out. So she has the best plan. And because of his jealous anger, for whatever reason, he's decided, no, she's mine. And And I'm like, well, that's when the Night Slasher's like, you know, fatal flaw is that for whatever reason, he just decided I got to kill pretty hair. Because that's what he calls Brigitte Nelson in this movie. And I, I, I'm, I watch it now and I think like, man, if you had just listened to your crazy weirdo Gene Simmons looking girlfriend, everything, you might still be in power, <laughs> right? But you, no, you just couldn't. You know, he, he's got to go to this. And then we get what I have, I think what hooked me to this movie so early on, Ron, we get like the shortest remake ever of Halloween too, but it is so awesome. <laughs> All right. Because Brian Thompson jet blacks his hair with a toothbrush, steals a janitor's outfit, puts on some glasses, thinks about killing a lady for you know, yelling at him for using the elevator. And then he Michael Myers stalks Brigitte Nielsen around this hospital for like eight minutes. Yeah. And that's another uh, part where a lot of stuff got cut out of the movie. Uh, the janitor's death and that nurse's death were originally shown on screen. And then that cop who was flirting with the nurse, he also was supposed to get killed by uh, the night slasher there too. Well, I mean, you hear they left in the Foley work on the janitor getting killed. Like you hear the thwack of the knife going into the watermelon or whatever. And I thought, well, that's, I mean, and to not show it, I was like, that's almost as jar or more jarring than showing it. But it was very much like when Michael Myers buries the claw hammer into the, you know, the fat cop in Halloween two, and he starts like cutting the lights and, you know, he's basically cornering Laurie Strode and Brigitte Nielsen is doing a good Laurie Strode in this. And uh, she is not a grand thespian by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, and she doesn't, she's barely able to spit out her lines in somewhat of English at this point here uh, because she is so trying to hide her accent and she just can't and like they should just let her be from somewhere else like they always did for arnold or whatever but whatever so but she does a good jamie lee curtis here yeah she's actually not bad if she wasn't you know six one she would have been a good uh she she probably could have carried a slasher movie no problem i mean i can see it we know she doesn't have a problem with nudity and with screaming so (laughs) yeah that was only revealed later in life but yeah yeah, but uh, that's another thing that got cut out um, in before Ingrid actually ends up in the hospital when they're killing that photographer, uh, David Rasky. Oh, yes. Love uh, that, by the way. Well, they cut out that he was hit with axes several more times and attempts to escape, but he Ooh. slipped on his own blood and fell down before being finished off with even more axe hits. And apparently they showed that and cut it out of wow. the movie. Well, I mean, so, his de- I mean, like nowadays that like he is so creepy though. <laughs> I mean, he's, I mean, he will not take no from this woman at all. And he like, I love how he tries to play off his whole, like, look, don't sleep with me for me. Do it for you. <laughs> and I'm like, man, what a, and I love how she's played him. I'm like, I really don't need this. <laughs> like, you, you think that that's going to help me, but I'm, I'm clearly okay without that. So thanks, but no. I really want to go away, Dan, leave me alone. So not that he deserved to be murdered with axes for that, but cause he wasn't like, he wasn't being 
violent. I mean, he was just being a come on artist that won't stop, you know? Um, yeah, he and, wasn't, I mean, he wasn't I, being like yeah. Harvey Weinstein. He was being Terry Richardson. I love the cop that draws his gun on the van and they absolutely obliterate this man into the wall. And I'm like, what kind of bumper do you have on that, that van? Cause holy cow, they hit him doing 30 miles an hour into a concrete wall. Yeah. I can't believe that was one of the scenes that didn't get cut out. I know. Cause the dummy is sitting there and you just see it disintegrate <laughs> into the wall. And I'm like, holy cow, what a mess. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was, it was it was great. It was like a highlight of the movie for me. I mean, yeah, you have, you have that. And then you again, you have the short remake of Halloween too. And finally she, you know, breaks the fire alarm, smart move. And you see him standing like he's a head and shoulders above everyone else. And he's just looking intently like, dang it. And he turns to walk away. And I'm like, no one would notice that like Jorge, the janitor grew like a foot and a half. All of a sudden, yeah. you know, I'm like, nobody would not look. I used to do commercial cleaning. They knew you when you were walking around the building. Like they oh, knew yeah. when there was a new guy, they knew they people pay attention. All right. They, they wouldn't have just let, um, you know, the Terminator walk out the door like that. Yeah. They would have let a six and a half foot tall monster sweating shoe polish down his neck wander yes. around the hospital. <laughs> yeah. It's like he did that on his hair through the uniform on and just walked in the building. So, uh, but he's brash. Carrying a knife. (laughs) Yeah, the size size of a sword. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Carrying a small sword. Um, but whatever. So, um, but we get, we do get the, uh, another good scene with the cop. I actually think it's good drama and there's an elongated version of it. And it would have been better if they left it in where there's a lot of back and forth between like the police command and the city command, like the mayor's office is in there arguing with Cabretti and the cops about what do we do? And they're like, no, take her to the safe boat. Nope. We get on the boat. They corner us. We got nowhere to go. We just go back to the safe house. No, you leave her in the city. And then it's a lot of back and forth, uh, but it was actually real police stuff. And I wish more of it had been in there because it it humanizes this whole thing and you actually get a good scene from Monty where you know he's got the drawing of Brian Thompson that he's been hiding and he does that whole you didn't say police thing to him but Monty actually goes into a little bit of like hey let's do this with this like he's actually making police decisions based on yeah it. and and they leave that in uh, at the end of the scene where uh, Cobra is complaining about how there were supposed to be three cops and there was only one and he asks who in the department told them to do that. And Monty says it wasn't the department. Right. Which makes you realize too, again, that it makes more sense if he was actually in charge of this whole new order thing, because there's no way that a basic line officer like stock could pull all this off. Like this. Yeah. It makes sense. If we had seen at least one new order person, like working at city hall, Right. Like there needed to be somebody else above her because the way they play it off is that she orchestrates all of this like stuff from her position as a, as a patrol officer. And there's just no way like you, she just would not, she would have access to be able to look up records. Sure. Uh, But she would not have the ability to manipulate like command forces of people moving around. All right. The police units are not stupid. All right. They run very much like the military. They don't move unless the commanding officer that they know says to move. Like the, so there's no way you could call three cops off of, you know, detail duty for something else. And you could, you could make a, a fake call to his partner to tell him to go back to the office to get him out of the building. Sure. You could fool him. And they, they do try to attack Cobra, which I think this is like a, an American ninja moment, which Stallone does to the two guys at his apartment. It's very American ninja. Um, the way he takes those guys out. 
Yes, especially when he kicks the guy over the the railing or whatever. Yeah, and then proceeds to shoot him twelve times. So yeah, yeah all, all of that's going on. Like she could have pulled off the bit where you get Gonzalez away, you know, out of the way, and him and Cobretti get crossed on that. But there's no way you got the other officers out of that room. Like it just doesn't it, it didn't hold water. Like this, and it's sad too because this is working so well. Like it's fun to watch, but it, you start picking at it a little bit, and you realize this didn't. This is really kind of stupid, right? But it's the kind of stupid that like a slasher movie would be. Or if you want to cut out some of the the new order, uh, the new world stuff, uh, is it new world or new order? It's new order. Whatever. I keep yeah. calling it new world because I figure that's a that's a. Uh, it's like a, I'm a hero of the new world pictures. They, they call yeah they call themselves like the order of the new world, the world new order. The it, it's very confusing. I I actually thought it was new world order, and for years thought well this is where Hogan ripped that off from because him and Stallone are buddies, but it, it wasn't actually direct. So. Well, my, my point was, if you want to cut out the scenes where we show that the, they've infiltrated positions of power, then leave the two other cops in and just have the Night Slasher just cut them up. Like, just have him kill all three cops. Right. Exactly. Establish this guy as the, the kind of dude who could be a threat to Cobra. Exactly. Like, he should do that. So it, one of two things, either he does that or he kills people and it, we it, like are in positions of power and we don't know why. And you realize like he's decided to tie up loose ends. So like if he killed Monty and stalk all of a sudden and you're like, well, why did they get killed? And it was sort of a mystery. Then you're like, oh, because they were in on it and he decided to tie up loose ends because he, you know, he's, he's psycho anyway. So why wouldn't he go rogue? Like that would make more sense. But I'm with you. I think it would have been better if he just chewed through more people because it's not like the dude can't wade through people. You know, we've already established that. Anyway, we, we get a, a great drive angry scene here. Um, it's what I, it's the only way I could call it. There, you know, Stallone's got Brigitte in his car. They're leaving the hospital and immediately, like within seconds, they realize they're being followed, not only by being followed by people, but they're being followed by the people. That need to come and get them. So he puts on the racing strap, and that's when we get the Fast and Furious moments with him shooting up and driving the city. And apparently this scene was supposed to be a lot longer, and I cannot imagine how much longer this could be before we get from him doing the reverse shoot-arounds on several cars and motorcycles and stuff to him jumping that car through a boat. Yeah, it was already it already felt like bullet length, but not good. Not as good. It, it does have some fun moments, but like clearly Stallone was like, this is going to be my version of Steve McQueen. Uh, we'll, we'll just jump over these hills in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, which are not nearly as interesting as the ones in San Francisco. We, we did that. With, it was in the, like the Enforcer or Magnum Force. There's a good chase. And you're through mm-hmm. San Francisco with Dirty Harry. I think he was trying to do that again, too, because they did find a good hill to go down. And I'm like, mm, boy, I had to go way out of town for that, I bet. So try to make that work. Because uh, I, I have a friend that lives in L.A. and he, he, uh, he told me once, he was like, the like anytime you see people driving through L.A. the way they do, he said, let me just put that for you. They are driving through what would take you hours to get around to. <laughs> they just shoot a little bit and then like turn a corner and it's somewhere else. He said, none of those places are near each other. This city is sprawling. <laughs> and so uh, it's fun to think about, but yeah, it's, it's goofy. But I, what amazes me is that, you know, it, I guess it just shows, you know, the, uh, craftsmanship of the 1950s kind of cars that he can jump that car through the back of a yacht, flip it over 
And like he walks out, Brigitte's got a bloody nose. He's got a cut above the eye, like he took a good lift from Apollo, and they're fine. Otherwise, the car's destroyed, but they're okay because the car was made out of pure steel. Well, if it's a 1950 Mercury, it, <laughs> this is true. It, it should be able to just drive through buildings. Well, it did. He drove it out of a parking deck. I mean, really, I, there were like several Fast and Furious Five moments that I was like, I I saw that in Cobra first. So the only thing they didn't do was tie chains to his car and have him like back up in reverse and then drag like a safe through the streets of Rio de Janeiro or something. Well, no, but he does push that car, uh, the gangbanger car, early on. So he does establishes he, that yeah. this Mercury's got some serious torque. Which, and by the way, has intimidation because when he pulls up the next day, they like move out of the way and say, yes, sir. (laughs) Thank you. So apparently that interaction (laughs) changed their lives, even though the guy told him to go do something with his mother at the end of it. So for whatever reason. So yeah, it's whatever. So, um, yeah, we have the drive angry scene and then we realize like, okay, this is, this is very bad. Right. And what I love is that he keeps telling Ingrid, like, you're going to be okay. And she keeps going, you keep saying that to me and people keep trying to kill me. Like in, incredible ways <laughs> like at least she's calling him out on it and at first i mean i used to think like oh why did she appreciate what cobra's doing for her? and now you know as an adult i go like no she's absolutely right like for the second time in this movie the woman speaking is totally right all right stalk was right and so is she so like if so we just listen to her we'd probably all be okay but whatever so um you know stallone has to mansplain to her to have faith and you know whatever um so we're going we're going to the safe house now though right nobody believes cobretti you know but he's got her in protective custody and we have this whole slowdown now in the movie and it for all the things that this movie cut the fact that they didn't want to cut any of this is amazing to me because they, we, they go to like the roadside diner and we pick up a lot of junk food and that's when um it's a whole guns- bottle of ketchup <laughs> Right. Well, Gonzalez tells her, like, his name's Marion, and so she plays that off, and he's like, yeah, what did the tough one name, like, Alice, you know, and he just makes a joke out of it, and I'm like, this was the thing, though, like, your guy would have, like, a cool name, but his first name would be something like Francis, or, you know, not what you would think, like, tough guy name, like, you know, Jack, or whatever, you know, um, and I, I don't, it's supposed to humanize him in some way, but Stallone cannot relate to her in any way, like, the, the problem is that these people are married to each other, and they have absolutely no chemistry on screen, they have, like, a love scene later, with, like, the slow jam, and it is not working at all. No, and, and at this point of the movie, I began to question, how are they making it so he looks to be as tall as she is? I know. I'm like, man, I know he's got on the boots, right? I'm like, I want to see the apple cart this guy's standing on. You know, I I noticed a few times, like, they have her kind of lean over to the side. You know, she leans up next to the Coke machine. She leans down. I'm like, that would have been every day. I noticed that later in in the, uh, it's, well, I noticed that some of the fleeing scenes uh, later on. But she's uh, hunched, you know. Yeah. But every time. You see him on frame together. If they're like the same height or he's a little bit taller. So he is definitely on a lift. You imagine him saying, hey, baby, I need you to kind of you know, lay down a little bit so I don't look so small. You know, so, I mean, and still looks like an average height guy. It's not like he's like super tiny or whatever, but just next to her because she's an Amazon. Brigitte Nielsen could probably pick up the gun and fight for herself. And that's what I, that's one thing that gets me is they give her so much agency in this movie. Like she is a very strong willed person and all that. It's kind of neat to see in an eighties movie. Why did she not pick up a gun and blow somebody away? She drives a truck, but that's kind of all she gets to do. I kept waiting for her to pick up one of those shotguns. Uh, yeah, one the of the siege. many. 
Yeah. Yeah, because like three or four guys drop drop pump shotguns into their room after they get murdered. I keep I kept expecting her to just just pick one up to have it. Give yourself a little reassurance that you know you can shoot somebody. I love his lines. Like, did you get any sleep while he's like banging this gun around and putting it together the Jatomatic, you know, nine millimeter submachine gun thing? And he's got the laser scope on it, which he never uses for anything except to point in that one window and then to point at the guy at the end. But he never scopes anybody down. He's just uh, right. But we get we get gun porn because that's what this movie has to have right in between, you know, sort of a makeout scene. But whatever. Um, the siege in San Remus, though, I got to say, man, that for as goofy as the the new order has been, they they play this off about as smart as they can. I mean, we get a scene early on where like their numbers are clearly depleted while they're doing their workout. It's like, oh, there's, they're missing a lot of folks. <laughs> and you think somewhere in the announcements they're like, look, we got to when we get done with Cobretti, we, we've got to really work on our recruitment, guys. <laughs> so he's t- he's taking out half of us at this point, and we we're we're down. Okay, like we got to we got to work on this. It's going to be agenda number one when we get back. So <laughs> I can I can see the treasurer you know having this moment so they they pull into the the old foundry town um because we're gonna have this showdown out in the middle of nowhere right and i i mean it is it is guns a palooza for the last 15 minutes of this movie man there's people like getting shot and being launched by bullets that could not do to them what it's supposed to do but it's it's the 80s thing like you you've shot nine millimeters right no one is going to be ejected 12 feet in the air being hit by one of those yeah, it's 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 not like it's not like you're getting point blank shot with a shotgun. There's, right. Yeah, there's not that much pushback. But that's this is also one of the places where they ended up making cuts for the MPAA because they showed a lot more of the townspeople getting murdered. So apparently, uh, the new order just shows up, guns ablazing, and they're like, oh, "Let's just kill everyone," which is one of the places where it really gave me those Mad Max vibes, like a Mad Max with yeah. the 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 bikies take over the town and start like terrorizing, uh, but in this movie they cut out a scene where a dude gets hit in the face with an axe, which is really sad because I want to see that. And I am disappointed the fact again that Ingrid never picks up a gun and does anything for herself because it would be in line with her character. It would have made sense. We finally get the final showdown though with the night slasher because Stalk shows up, she corners Ingrid, but. Cobra intervenes, shoots her. She's going to come back later and get shot again, but we're kind of done with her. But I love how they give Brian Thompson time as the night slasher to monologue here, because I understand in the original, it was very short. Like he said a couple lines and Stallone did the, I'm you're the disease. I'm the cure bit. And then that was it. And I like the fact that he does this whole thing about like, I want your eyes pig. You want to go to hell, you know? And I mean, just goes off and it's, it's so neat because it's like he's giving voice to the slasher character that he's playing that those characters never get to have. Yeah, it, it definitely uh, comes across like if Jason Voorhees could talk, this is what he would say and probably what he would sound like, a big scary monster. <laughs> right, right. It'd be some more mother stuff in there if it was Jason, but you're right, exactly. So, no, I, <laughs> I, I like the fact, though, that – he gets that. And then we do get a good fight between them. What I think is funny is Stallone does the whole, like, no, this is where the law stops and I start because night slashers told him like, now you got to take me in. Right. And they got to, they're going to declare me insane. You, they're, you know, I, even I have rights, which is the same speech. The guy at the end of dirty Harry gave, by the way, I don't know if you remember that or not, but it's the same idea. Um, oh yeah. So, <laughs> so you, you got to take me in. It's like, no, no. So, and so anyway, 
uh, Cobra goes to shoot him and the gun either jams or is empty. You know? And I'm like, well, only fitting, right? And so they have to have a fist fight, uh, which goes down very much like Rocky Five. Um, if you remember how that one ends, uh, but I love how he hangs this guy on because we set the hook up already. Because when he's standing around doing the "I want your eyes" pig, the hook's going behind him into the blast furnace that they they set off because somebody got shot into the control room. Whatever, because it didn't look like the foundry was working that day. So it was just like Sunday or something. But anyway, he uh, he turned it on to kill some guys. Is that what it was? Okay, so yeah, because yeah, I knew he shot like a grenade and blew some dudes up and all kinds of all kinds of mayhem happens in this thing. But he hangs this. I mean, the fact that Stallone one could pick this dude up, I actually probably could believe that because Stallone's buff. Like he's a strong guy. I mean, he picked up Hulk Hogan a couple of times, so this is about the same size. And, but he hangs him on that hook, and I think that was something else that got cut too. Is there was a lot more graphic about the the chainsaw massacre hook hanging. Yeah, there was a close up of the uh, Night Stalker Night Slasher's wound when he's impaled on the hook, and they cut a bunch of stuff where Cobretti like has to like force the hook in deeper to get him really sunk in. Oh, that's, that, you know what? I, I kind of hate that that got cut. Not that I want the gore, but the idea that we have to like really hang on to him to make sure he's hung on the thing is good. Cause, cause Thompson does an incredible like screaming performance, knowing like what that would possibly be like. And then goes into the furnace to be burned. And you can tell that's a quick cut too. Cause he just sort of, his hand just kind of drops Michael Myers style and he's done. That's one of the things they also cut um, at the end of the movie when uh, Cobra and Ingrid are leaving the factory. The uh, local police show up and ask them what took place. I don't think we needed more talking at that point, do you? I mean, even though I wish this movie may have had a little more stuff to it, by the end of it, I was ready for it to be over. Yeah, it's it's it, it's you know eighty four minutes, eighty five minutes, and it's uh, it, it's that's about the perfect length for this movie. They had to do a lot of editing to cut stuff out. They had to do a lot of scenes where things were slowed down that originally were shot in real time and things were sped up that were originally shot in slow motion to kind of work around some of the continuity cuts and to kind of cut around some of the violence. Yeah. And you can tell, particularly in the climax, that that's a lot of that's done, but we got to get the coda here where the captain's like, okay, we'll clean up all this mess and I'll take care of your machine gun. And no, we don't have money to replace your car in the budget. And we have to have the punch out with Monty because that's, I guess that's what he deserves at this point. Um, because he, he won't let it go. Like if Monty had just shut up and said, see ya, you know, instead of no hard feelings, right? I mean, you did overdo it. Like, he, he just kept on. I was like, dude, you're going to get nailed for that. Like, you, <laughs> you know, it's like, but man, just let it go. Like, at this point, I'm surprised the captain did like, Monty, just trust me, you just need to walk away. So, uh, because, uh, you know, Salam was going to turn him into a, you know, piece of meat or something, but he, he slugs him. And then, uh, we, we, we've also caught up with Gonzalez who got shot in the leg and wants gummy bears at the hospital. Um, which is, you know, <laughs> sure. I mean, his whole, his whole character motivation is I just eat really bad junk food all the time and I don't really do any police work. Um, I, in my head, I've retconned that that was Dirty Harry's partner that transferred to LA afterward and he just took like the most lazy cush job he could find until they paired him up with this psycho again and he's just riding out to his pension. <laughs> like, man, just let me get to the end. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm almost there. But we ride off to a, what I think is an anthem of a song. I, I've talked about on, on one of Brian's podcasts, um, about, 
how much I love John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band, and they're like Rhode Island's answer to Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, pretty much. And they did the soundtrack to Eddie and the Cruisers, if people know what that is or whatever. And he's known to do a lot of soundtrack songs, but this is a cool song, man. I love Voice of America's Sons. I've loved this song for years. I remember being a kid putting my boombox up to like the television speakers and taping it on a tape so I could listen to it. Wow, that's uh. That's next level, man. I mean, if it, if they had had cereal, I'd have been eating it, okay? I, I was that into this <laughs> band. <laughs> I even tried to make a band of mine in college cover this, and they, they talked me out of it because we, we didn't have nearly enough instrumentation or none of us could sing like that. But I was convinced it would be cool, and people would know what it was, and then everyone reminded me that you're the only person that's seen this movie, so <laughs> which is probably true. It's funny um, bringing up the soundtrack. The You know the song The Touch? Yes, That's yes. The, Transformers, the, the movie. Yeah, the Stan Bush song, yeah. Yep, originally written for Cobra. Did not know that. Wow. I, now I need a fan edit of the end of Cobra with the touch just to see the difference. Holy cow. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it does seem like the scene is cut to the Beaver Brown song. Like, it's them riding off on the motorcycle into the sunset, almost Wraith style, if you remember the end of that movie, uh, with the rock and roll blaring in the background. And my my thought is, like, what? what are they going to do? Like, he's going to take her back to LA. She's probably going to get on a plane and fly to New York and never come back to California. Right. And I guess he goes back to cutting off the extra piece of pizza. Uh, cause I mean, we, let's not forget like the attack at his apartment. He leaves the door open. Like, I don't think he ever goes back home. Like, I don't remember him ever doing that. He's in the same clothes the rest of the movie. So maybe he did, but you know, we're, we're left to wonder, but uh, my question for you here before we do our, our final recommendations of popcorn ratings and stuff is the eighties were sequel rific. Why? And this movie made a boatload of money. Why did we not get a Cobra two? or was there ever talk of a Cobra two? Uh, I'm not sure that there ever was talk of a Cobra two. Uh, I think, uh, Canon had was starting to develop their famous money problems at this point. Yeah. Or getting closer to it. I know they made a video game. I did not know that until a few years ago, by the way. Did you ever play it? I did not. I don't remember the game. I, I remember like having seen the game, but uh, I don't think I ever played it, no. I mean, back in the day when you would make video games on rated R movies, you know, in a time when like that just blows my mind that we did that, but sure. That's, yeah, it's weird that it was... I mean, I know it won a lot of Razzies, but that has never stopped anybody from making a sequel to a movie. I can only imagine Stallone being somewhat of a nightmare to work with was too much hassle for even Golan Globus. That's, well, that's saying something right there, man. <laughs> wow. Uh, but yeah, you're probably right. I just, I, I've always wondered, again, I think the it's ripe for it. Like you could make that, but, um, and now that we're in, you know, nostalgia of everything, I don't know, like, could you see anybody trying to remake something like this? I mean, it'd have to be a very different setup, right? But I could almost see them going for something like this. Maybe flip yeah. the gender and get somebody like Eliza Dushku to play Cobra. Yeah, that that would be fun. I, I, I could see that, yeah. Well, you know, now that I said that, because I just made that up in my head, I kind of want to see that. So <laughs> I kind of I kind of would dig that. I think it would work. Well, I mean, so. we've seen a lot of action movies with, like, uh, you know, uh, Gina Carano and uh, Scarlett Johansson yeah. and people like that. So I think they should just like let Brigitte Nielsen do Cobra 2. <laughs> and she could be Ingrid, but Ingrid is back with a vengeance. 
Yeah, it, Cooper's dead, and she's she's back to avenge him or carry on the legacy or something. Yeah, I don't just know. do like the Creed Two of Cobra. The, yeah, why not? Or the Creed of Cobra, not Creed Two. <laughs> well, whatever. Yeah, she was she was in Creed Two, so you're on the right track. Well, Ron, I think we're at the part of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. So, what are yours for Cobra? I'm gonna go with a solid medium popcorn. It does slow down in the middle. Um, it is kind of chopped up it looks like a move it looks like a meatloaf of movie because it's just so much stuff just ground up and smashed together but much like a meatloaf the end result is pretty tasty and i definitely enjoyed it it's not uh not high art but um anytime you have that many people being shot off of motorcycles like and sliding or that many dudes getting set on fire uh, you know it's a it's a pretty good time uh it's definitely a slice of 80s cheese, but, uh, you know, nothing's wrong with a slice of cheese now and then. You know, man, I, I agree with everything you said. This movie is cut to pieces, and it, you know, we can always imagine what might have been, but it, you know, what we have is what we have. But I can't tell you that I've ever not enjoyed watching this, even with all the flaws and the problems that it has. And I've picked up a, a lot of them here, and I think fair to, to point them out. This movie is just enjoyable. It's not, it doesn't ask a lot from you. It's kind of like 50 cent wing night, you know? <laughs> like if you pick the right flavors and you pick the right number and you don't overdo it, that can be a good time. And this movie is very much like that. And if, again, if you're a fan of like the action genre and you're also happen to be a fan of 80s slasher flicks, this is your movie. I mean, it's got everything you want. It's got enough Stallone one liners to get you by and. There's there's some cool stuff going on. I mean, again, I think the whole Night Slasher thing is and the New Order is a is a cool concept. Um, the fact that they just, you know they cut it to ribbons is, is Stallone's hubris, but what's there is still pretty good. And so I'm going to give it a large popcorn. I think this movie's fun, and you know it it's now considered cult classic or whatever. I think it just fits right in the '80s genre. It's just one of those movies, and it's perfect for its time. I again think. It would be kind of neat to see, could you go back to this? And if you did, would anybody remember it? Would they know, you know? Uh, because I think there's a lot of the tropes that this one plays off of that got played into a lot of other uh, you know, movies that came after it. Um, and so it's fun to see and, and pick them apart. And I think that may just be, you know, part of the time and the genre with stuff like Lethal Weapon and all those. But this one definitely works. And uh, I, I like it. I think it's one of Stallone's better one-offs. Uh, and we're going to talk about two other ones in this series that uh, may be varying degrees, but uh, I'm going to give it a large popcorn. I think it was a lot of fun. Again, Rod, thanks for joining me on the show. Tell folks how they can follow your writing and the stuff you're doing over at Den of Geek. Uh, yes, you can find me at denofgeek.com and Den of Geek US. You can follow me on Twitter for nothing of real substance. Uh, and you, sh- there, there'll be some more good stuff. I just finished up with Game of Thrones. I may be getting involved in some Deadwood related things. One of my favorite shows of all time. And, uh, you know, uh, not much coming down the pike right now, but, uh, I've got some possible cool things happening. So, uh, I will definitely keep everyone abreast of those on the old Twitter box. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Filmstrip Pod. You can go to filmstrippodcast.com and keep up with all of our archive section. Of course, you can subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher. And if you do that, please leave us a positive review as it'll help people find the show as we've relaunched here. But we've got a huge back catalog, lots of stuff we've talked about on this show and lots we haven't as well that you can go check out while we're getting ready to do more Stallone flicks and then either more fun stuff coming up later this fall and into the winter. Until next time, though, for Ron, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. 
Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.